0: That's blue Nile.com.
1: Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we welcomed current England squad member Alex Lozovsky, as well as two legends of the West Country, former Bath teammates Nigel Redmond and Dan Lyle. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Andy Goode, Lawrence Delalio, and our studio guests. Alex, great to have you here. What's it like meeting you. your great mentor from WAS, Andy Good? <laughs> this man has moulded and shaped your career. I haven't yeah. moulded him. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't moulded him. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a big mould yeah, if he was going to be. be in your image. Great to have you here. Um, well, I don't know. Commiserations on not hanging around in the England camp for this weekend. Was there a part of you that thought, maybe, maybe this is my chance to make it into the squad on match day?
2: Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, you know, it's obviously extremely hard to get into the team. It's an England team. Um, great players across the board, so... Uh, it's obviously disappointing, but um, you know, I probably expected it. And uh, back to Saris on the weekend for a big game and sale. They have got a big game. We'll look ahead to that. Now,
1: it must have been a bit of a, a wrench for you to leave Wash to go across to as There'd be f- certain reasons why you would have gone. Maybe you'll tell us what they are and how many of them, ka-ching, there were. But <laughs> um, you must be pinching yourself that you have uh, continued your rise so quickly through the ranks.
2: Yeah, I suppose I. No, I started off the season um, playing a bit more than what I thought I would be. Um, Owen's injury gave me that chance really and um, I was just determined to put my best foot forward and uh, do the job for the team when they needed me. Goody, what about this guy? What makes him so good?
3: Uh, He's immensely talented. I remember when we played at WOS together I used to say to him, everything that I do, just do the opposite. You'll be a good player because <laughs> he could run, he could beat someone with great footwork. Brilliant kicker of the ball as well. Um, but he's obviously matured over the last few games actually at Saracens and this year. And, uh, you know, we were coached by Stephen Jones. Uh, he was a brilliant mentor for both of us, both the, the youth and the aged um, when we were at Wasps. And now he's got Charlie Hodgson, obviously, at Saracens as well to talk to. But obviously Owen Farrell, so brilliant talent. Obviously, we know his dad quite well as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a bit of history there.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much help, how much of an inspiration your father is, Rob Lazowski. you would have played with Rob, I yeah. played against Rob, he's he got one cap yeah. for England, so you've only, got to be, you've only got to play twice for England yeah. to overtake your dad and have uh, bragging rights in the household, but uh, well, can you see a few similarities between the young Alex and Rob? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, very talented
4: player, his father, Um, you know, really enjoyed playing alongside him. I mean, obviously, you know, every rugby player wants to play and, uh, you know, Alex will probably be the first one to say maybe the opportunities that, that, you know, weren't coming as frequently as he would have liked at Wasps. So it was a shame, but, you know, he decided to make the move and I think sometimes you make the move and it comes off and sometimes it doesn't. I think in Alex's case, as soon as he's arrived at Saracens, that gets an injury to Owen Farrell he's had five or six games for Saracens and he's straight in the England squad. So it's been a really, really fantastic
1: yeah, game. Yeah, it has been outstanding. And there, there was one moment early on in the season which made me laugh, made a lot of us laugh. Nice chuckle. It was Saracens against Wasps. So maybe some of the Wasps players have got a little bit of an edge thinking. And here is Nathan Hughes. He's lined you up. You don't hold back. You pile into him. And, Lawrence, that's what you want to see from the young man. But it is your reaction next. Looking cool. Check the hair. Hammer thinking. And wait for it. And, ooh, oh, that, that was a big up <laughs> <old> hit. <laughs> yeah. But you're clearly quite you're clearly, yeah, happy with the rough stuff.
2: Yeah, well, I think when you see Nathan running at you, um, you know that you're going to have to try and hit me hardest, because if you don't, you're going to bo- <laughs> get bowled over. So, um, yeah, I just sort of chuck my body in front there and uh, hope for the best, really. Well,
1: hats off to you with the way things are going. Give him a round of applause. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well done indeed. Now. To make the rest of us feel comfortable, back to the good old days. Our next guest was one of the pillars upon which Jack Rao built his Bath dynasty. He is unmistakable and quite remarkable, famed for his bizarre training regimes and phenomenal longevity, a roller coaster of an international career which spanned 14 years. Please welcome Nigel Ollie Redmond. Really good to see you, a familiar face that accompanied me and haunted me at various times through my rugby career. Great to have you here. A little bit of a limp as you walked in, those years catching up with you. Yeah,
5: it's, um, I suppose it's uh, when you play those, those types of games against people your size, babe, it's, uh, it does have a toll on you. And, and now I'm getting a new knee for Christmas, so I'm really looking forward to it.
1: We're, we're excited for you that you're getting a <laughs> new knee. I new. can see
5: it in your face how excited <laughs> you
1: are. Um, but one of the things that, uh, that we all used to be, well, we used to laugh and be amazed at in equal measure. What, were your training regimes that you put yourself through. I remember a picture of you doing some exercise, being hit in the stomach by a Turkish wrestler with a piece of four-by-two. Yeah. Not everyone did that. Well, yeah, perhaps more people should have.
5: It was a bizarre time. As I said, I, would be in, I was in competition with the likes of you, Wade Dooley, Paul Ackford, all these huge men. And I thought, I've got to do something different. So there was a, a spit and sawdust gym right in the heart of Bristol. There was a big Iranian ex-wrestler. And I walked in one day and I said, I want you to train me. And he trained me for a while. And one day he said, Nigel, he said, you, you're a very strong man now. He said, you're very strong. He said, he said, I need to take training up. I said, brilliant. He said, yes, you're very strong. He said, now when you train, he said, I hit you with bat. <laughs> and I said, brilliant. And he said, hit me with a cricket bat. And then he said... Now, he, he said, you were very strong. You were very, he said, you were very strong. He said, I hit you with stick. And then it went to, I hit you with club. And then one day, he very proudly brought out these 44-pound hand-carved Indian clubs. And he said, now, he said, he said, you reach top. He said, I hit you with club <laughs> while you train. So we trained at that for a bit, which was great. And he threw medicine balls at me. Then he got on tables and threw medicine balls at me. And then came the, the, the meeting of uh, creativity and innovation met pragmatism, because he came to me one day, it was just before the 91 World Cup, and he said, Nigel, he said, he said I'm very proud of you. He said, you're very, very strong. He said, and I was a massive bloke. He said, I, when I hit you, he said, I hit you here. He said, you're fine. I hit you here. I hit you on stomach. You're fine. Leg, fine. Now, he said, I take bat, he said, I hit you here. <laughs> I said, no, he said, no, no, no. He said, first time, very painful. Second time, very painful. He said, then much, much better. I said, no. <laughs> and in fairness, I'd never seen a guy so disappointed.
1: Uh, oh, brilliant, that's a story, And the accent as well, is all oh. there, <laughs> it's all there. Um, now, I mentioned, I mentioned your, your roller coaster career. First cap where you were, you, well, you would have won your would first cap with, uh, with Rob against Australia yeah. in 1984, and then that career goes on through to 1997 internationally, ending up with this, you know captaining the Lions twice on the Lions tour in 1997. Phenomenal career. I wish we had time to go through the ups and downs. When you run through your selections and being dropped, it is absolutely outstanding. But now, a very very different approach. You're now working with British swimming. Yes. How did that happen, and what does it entail? Very I
5: had 10 years with the rugby union, coached um, a lot of the youngsters who've come through and now in in the senior side. And then I went into coach development, so working with top coaches. And coaches were saying to me, both, uh, the the rugby union used to lend me out to uh, organisations like UK Sport. And the more that we talked about philosophy and principles and, and understanding coaching, and people would say, the thing is, at the sharp end, when you've got the threat of the sack, then, you know, it's very difficult. So I thought, you know, I've been provoked, so the very first opportunity, I'm going to explore the premiership again, because I want to to do this, because I I think I can. And so I wanted to work under the threat of the sack, so I got a call from Richard Hill. It came in my 10th year, so I literally had the handshake and the raise in the the pension and everything, and I said, I'm leaving. I'm going to Worcester. And um, and in fairness, you know, we we, we went to Worcester, and it was great, and, and I was sacked. (laughs)
1: So I, <laughs> was, you had anything you wish for. It was brilliant, yeah, because
5: I had my principles and everything. But I thought, no, actually, I've done what I wanted to do. And then I sort of had um, nine months in the wilderness. I worked for a business school. And, and then I had this opportunity as swimming came up. And I'd worked with a lot of the Olympic sports. And I thought, this is brilliant. And it was at a time where swimming was in transition. Um, They'd, added, they, they, they'd had some problems themselves over the years. And they new leadership team. They got some wonderful people, really hard-working coaches, support team. And my job, really, was to work with the coaches, the support team, at the Rio Games, and get them to, to work together as a team, see themselves as a team. And, um, you know, we won six medals, so we, we doubled our medal target, and now everything's full steam ahead
1: for Tokyo. Absolutely outstanding. Do you think that rugby can learn a bit from swimming and maybe from you you almost become the go-between between between rugby and swimming
5: I think we can learn from any environment we're in you know it's it's almost taking off the shackles of our experiences and just saying hey what's going on here and how that's and be interested be curious ask questions rather than say yeah I know that because too often you know people will go yeah we do that oh yeah I know that or principles and yeah, yeah, they're great, but, yeah, we, we're doing that already. It's actually taking time to say, right, what does that mean? What does that mean for my team? How do we actually establish a sense of purpose? You know, because people will go, what do you mean purpose? No,
2: yeah.
5: it's, no, 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 this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it. I said, no, 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 why are we doing it? What's the, what's the, what's the bigger meaning for this? You know, yeah. why are we actually... What, what's the emotional attachment? What's in it for us? What, what gets us out of bed in the morning?
1: Yeah. Now, you, of course, would have been coached well, you were coached by a, a very uh, interesting character in Jack Rowell yes. at Bath. Yes. We now have a very interesting character looking after the England team in Eddie Jones. What do you make of him? What do you make of this regime that he's building around him?
5: I think that uh, it's very difficult to, to, to sort of see any chinks at the moment. I mean, I know he's a hard taskmaster. They seem to be playing and responding well to him. I suppose it's like anything, Martin. As soon as, when things are going well, everyone's happy and people will fall in line. You know, it's... Yeah. One of the things we talked about in Rio was, was when we win things, let's not get too excited and when we lose things, let's not get too disappointed. Let's, let's uh, sort of let's bring those, those peaks and troughs down so that we're more consistent. I suppose with that said, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when, when something does go wrong, whether, whether they can hold it together and work through it. Because at the moment, they're going really well, they're riding high. And yeah, I'm sure there will be some challenging times ahead. Those are the times when you find out whether people are on side and on board or not.
1: The fascinating thing, of course, is Alex Lawrence is moving into an era with England where this is the norm. Yeah. England winning and this, this setup is the norm. Very different for some of the players, like, for instance, you know Chris Robshaw in particular. Very, very different. When you look at that performance for England against South Africa. Did you think that actually now we're seeing a performance where England, the characters are starting to come through? The individual characters, not just the block, simple, this is England. All the individuals are coming through.
4: Yeah, characters, but there's a lot of confidence that's come into the squad. Um, And, you know, you talk about performance, you know, we haven't beaten South Africa for 10 years. This was a group of players that wanted to do this for the first time. And... uh, you know, uh, they wanted to go out there and and prove that they could have that game plan. And it's interesting because Eddie Jones, (laughs) talk about keeping your feet on the floor, you know, he's marked that as a six out of 10 performance, which, uh, you know, when you put a decent over 30 points on South Africa, it's the first time you've won in 10 years. Maybe previous England coaches might have got a little bit carried away with that. He feels there is enormous room for improvement. And I think we're creating this competition. I think he's fundamentally aware that we've got a long way to go to get to become the very best side in the world. But... You know, it's about getting world-class players in in several positions. And, uh, you know, certainly if we look at where we are now
1: compared to where we were 12 months ago, we've taken a massive step forward. Goodie, when you look at uh, England's performance, it gets a 6 out of 10 from Eddie Jones. What on earth would South Africa have got? This is a tweet from uh, Joel Stransky. Bitterly disappointing uh, Springbok's performance. Selection was poor, game plan poor, execution poor, culture damaged, desperate times. Now, he is not... No player is going to say that about their team if they think it, it's just a slight aberration. There is clearly something rotten at the heart of South African rugby. Can you put your finger on it? Could you see what it might be? Um, we talked about politics on the show the other week, didn't we? About um, the quotas, etc. And is that the right thing
3: to do short-term against long-term? Um, you know, Willem Alberts came out and said it was the players. It wasn't the game plan uh, that was the issue. But, um, yeah, they're in dire straits at the minute. I can't see... Um, where are wins coming from, obviously they've got Italy this weekend who will fancy their chances um, and they just looked devout of ideas didn't they, I couldn't see how they were trying to attack um, you know, yes they picked a massive team um, in terms of the power but they just didn't ever get over the game line at all, England dominated that, dominated the breakdown and um, you know, for me South Africa they've got so many questions to answer um, you know, Pat Lambie at 10, was he the right player, Houston came on and went really well um, but for me they just seemed
1: devout of ideas which was uh, not South African like for me Lawrence, let's have a look at the squad that Eddie Jones has picked now for the Fiji game. Alex, yeah. you're not going to be happy about this because your name mm-hmm. isn't on it, but you're young and you've got lots to look forward to, so don't worry too much. Um, this is what we're looking at, forwards and backs. So Lawrence, when you look at that, let's look at the forwards to start with. Um, I wouldn't have thought too many changes there. Any big surprises? Well, no, Dave Atwood obviously has had to go back to Bath. when you know, He's got a, a sore knee, I think,
4: so Charlie Ewells comes in. He can cover you know, second round, back run. I know he's incredibly well thought of. Obviously, Tom Wood's come back. Lastly, one cap. He's then gone back to Northampton. Tamana Harrison gets another opportunity. Nathan Hughes will start. I think it's a big game for him to, to prove what he could do, not just coming off the bench, but in that, in that starting role. And, and it's pretty much business as usual, really. They've got a nice, settled team and you don't want to be making too many changes up front in what will be a tough game because it can get quite loose against Fiji. And I think that England will want to bring that structure to the game early on.
1: What about the, uh, the selection of, uh, of Nathan Hughes then into the squad? Lawrence mentioned about the, in, in the, the media section about the question marks over residency. And he's, he said quite clearly in the press he came for the money. Uh, it's a lot of money when you look at the discrepancy between what an England player gets, what a Fijian international gets. Goody, what do you make of that? Well,
3: it's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously it's not Nathan's fault the laws are what they are. So the three-year residency rule, personally, I don't agree with it. Um, I don't think three years is enough to qualify to play for your country but it's not Nathan's fault. The, the All Blacks have been doing it for years in poach, poaching players or whatever from Tonga, South, uh, Samoa um, and Fiji as well. So. Every country's doing it. I think it's down to World Rugby to try and sort out what's the best route to go down, because do you start off at a school age? They have education in that country. There's so many questions. But, um, you know, Nathan Hughes, has been a brilliant player for Wasps for three years, um, thoroughly deserved his opportunity to play for England. It's not his fault, the laws are what they are. Um, he's obviously exploited them and, um, you know, hopefully for the,
1: for the better of England rugby, because he's a brilliant player. Nigel, when you look at the, the money involved, it is huge. An England player will get about £22,000. For, for a game, per game, uh, for England. Virginians are looking, at what, about 400 pounds a game. That's a huge discrepancy. Twickenham generates millions of pounds in every game. Um, in your heart or in your head, where do you think that money should go? Do you think more should go to the visiting teams? Oh, what a great question.
5: Um, look, they, if it's an entertainment and they're part of that entertainment, then yeah, why not? Why not uh, bring the best in? Why not? And, Look after them when they're here. Um, I, I, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what's at stake as far as who sets those tariffs, who set those levels. Um, but yeah, is it is it level? Obviously not. Um, would Fiji play any de- different if they have more money? I doubt it because they probably play for their country, their badge, and, and each other. You know. So does that make it right? No. Yeah. You know, it's a it's it's a commercial world. So. If there were two boxers, one gets more than the other, but is it that much difference? Again, I'm not sure. It, it is put yeah. well, it on a show. It think,
1: is a huge. I mean, the thing is, I'll say, you know, I won my first cap alongside you in Fiji in 1991. That's the last time England played a game in Fiji. That's a long, long time for them not to, not to welcome the so big yeah, teams. The thing for me, though, is perhaps England should play more in Fiji to
5: actually bring them down to, and to understand more about the cultures they're playing against. So that actually, it's, they understand a little bit more about what it's like not to have some of these things up yeah. now. So, I don't know, we, perhaps we could learn from, from doing that as well.
1: Absolutely, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. Well, Eddie Jones is approaching a year in charge of his England team. He's kept things fresh with his playing roster and he's done the same thing with his coaching team. Neil Hatley, the last, is one, last coach to be drafted in. We caught up with him at England's training base at Pennyhill Park.
6: We haven't been in for 10 years, so uh, you know, a good win on the day. Uh, to score five tries against South Africa I thought was, you know, it's a good performance. We need a scrummage better on our ball. Um, you know, we're we're very good on our own ball from a lineup point of view and, and maybe a little bit disappointed with that they got a, you know, are more going and and, and squeezed a penalty from that. In the past you'd have talked about Fiji from a, an unstructured point of view and in terms of what they do, ball carrying and offloading. You know, they've developed more than that. They've got a lot of players who are playing in Europe. A lot of these players now are, you know, their skills are much more home from a set piece point of view. So they're, they're better scrum, they're better line up, better maulers. So, you know, we know it's going to be a hell of a battle again. From what we expect from Rocker, you've seen him so far in the Premiership this season. You know, he's, he's set at a light, he's been very good under the high ball. You know, if you're looking at their left winger, who's um, probably the height of Ben Kay um, and, and heavier than Dave Flatman, um, you know, there's a real threat there. And, you know, we, we think, you know, if he's selected, that, that Rock can potentially match the power there as well. Nathan is a big ball runner. He, he's done that for Watts consistently over the last two years. He stops people on the line. You know, he's an abrasive defender. And for a big man, he actually more, you know, he, he gets over the ball well. So, you know, he brings a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of real plus points to the team.
1: Those autumn internationals, let's start with the the Scotland uh, defeat, Goody, to Australia. More pain, more agony for Scotland. Greg Laidlaw uh, has gone public saying the team need to grow up right the way through the team. What do you think he's trying to say there? Um, It's just coming down to the confidence and the close game. So, you think back to the World Cup last year, uh,
3: when they lost uh, another one-point ball game to, to Australia. I think this game was a bit different because they actually attacked really well, so their confidence in attack is coming on, but their understanding of how to win a really close game. Australia were down to 14 players at the end there when they got the winning try, um, and obviously Greg Laidlaw missed a few kicks at goals as well, didn't he? But the difference there, one-point ball game, he's kicking at 60%. He's normally a world-class
1: kicker. It's just that understanding, that confidence of going how, uh, going on to win a game. Nigel what would you do when you, if you're in that situation now you're sort of thinking more about the mind games when you've got a, a team which appear to have a mental block about making that next step um, you can't obviously say what the exact process is but are there things that can be said can be done to try and encourage a team to break through it
5: I think if you, if you listen to Gudi their attack is getting better but um, it's that ability to finish games the, I, you see it time and time again with good sides good sides will keep, keep playing, if they go down they'll keep playing and sides who are just happy to be in there, sides who, whether it's football, rugby, whatever, it's almost they, they, they want to finish the game two minutes early. You know, Manchester United, how many games did they win in the last in, well, in injury time? Bath, yeah. you know, how many times have we win games in time? In, in it's yeah. the ability to keep playing. And don't make excuses or, or, or say, hey, you know, we've, we've lost again by a point, we're getting better. Actually say, no, that's not good enough. What, what, what are the things they're doing well? What are the things we need to work on? And let's commit to doing it right and, and not set, settling for a, for a one-point loss to, to an Australia side who, itself, have had their problems.
1: Yeah, we're well, interested to see what Vern Carter can do and then what Gregor Townsend can do when he takes over in the new season. Lawrence, what do we make of uh, a Wales' performance against Argentina? Emotive times, they've got Alan Wynne-Jones back, the whole Wales squad turned up at the, the funeral for Alan Wynne's father, which is why he obviously didn't play in that game against Australia. But a big improvement from that game against Australia? Yes, yeah, it was a big improvement. You know, Sean Edwards said that he felt he was
4: outcoached in that Australian performance. I, didn't, I don't think they expected, I mean, they did expect a tough game against Australia, but they didn't expect to get thumped quite in the way that they did. Uh, and it was important they got back to winning ways. You um, could ask yourself, Argentina have played better in the past. Uh, I'm not sure they asked that many questions of this Wales defence, particularly defensively. Uh, but it was good for Wales, confidence-wise. When you come off the back of a thumping, just to get back to winning ways, get that crowd behind them, because they've got some tough games ahead in the autumn as well.
3: On one point, on Wales, their attack wasn't great, but w- Liam Williams was outstanding, wasn't he? He yeah. was yeah. absolutely world-class Bolton for the Lions, I reckon.
1: Yeah, interesting. And of course, having Alan win back, he is just a rock mm. for that Welsh team. Ireland did fantastically well beating Canada. The best news to come is that Ireland have officially. Put in their bid for the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Formally announced 12 potential venues, including Celtic Park in Derry. Other stadiums include the Aviva, the RDS Thoma Park, and Croke Park. All of us, all of us, I would imagine, unless we have a vested interest in the other countries, which I think are France and America, we all want Ireland to win this, don't we? A World Cup in Ireland, oh, how cool Ireland. would that Come be? On. That would be sensational. Great stuff. Good luck to them. Another picture behind us of the late, great Jonah Lomi. We're worth mentioning that in two days' time, it'll be a year since the great man left us. Uh, there is a dinner later on this month to, uh, to commemorate him. Uh, it really does make you realise we lost an absolute gem when we lost Jonah Lomi. Alex, this competition, the Anglo-Welsh, formerly the LV Cup, um, you would have played in this. How important a tournament was it in your development as a rugby player?
2: Yeah, I saw it as a huge opportunity for me to um, play some games. Uh, so my first season at Waswin, when, and he was uh, still on fire, I couldn't get in the Premiership team. So, um, you know, that was my first shot. Shan-
3: gave me a holiday <laughs> as well, so it was good.
2: Yeah, so that was my first chance to, um, you know, put the shot on and play. And you look at some. It was of the a name- bit of a loose shirt when you put it on. But <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> exactly. Tent, yeah. Take it in. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, you look at some of the names who've won the uh, Breakthrough Player Award, and the likes of Jack Noel and Oli Devoto, who then went on to achieve the great things there for their club playing in the Premiership and the European competitions. I think it's definitely a, uh, a pathway for young players to uh, get some first-team opportunities. Yeah.
1: And Lawrence, it's impor- important to see, for coaches to see how these young players react under pressure. Bristol under huge pressure coming into that game, they got the win, and some players really, really stepped forward. Um, this young lad, Jason Wood, would really caught the eye for them.
4: Yeah, it's been a really tough season for Bristol because um, you know losing is, is not much fun at all, but. Uh, you know, getting a win is, it will do a huge amount for their confidence. And as you say, it's an opportunity, as Alex said, for, for young people to shine here. You, know, you don't get many opportunities, particularly when you, your side are on the back foot, as Bristol have been for large parts of the season. So it must be a welcome relief for Mark Tainton, who's taken over from Andy Robinson, just to try and see his side getting on the front foot, giving people like Woodward a chance. But uh, I have to say, it's a
1: long season ahead for Bristol, I'm afraid. Well, let's hear from the young man, see what he thinks about life in general. And you didn't take any time introducing yourself to to English rugby or Anglo Welsh rugby because last Friday your debut was just was just a cracker wasn't
2: it? Yeah, oh, except for that first touch of the ball, I think I got hit pretty hard and sort of sitting on the ground going, oh, what you know, what's all this? But um, mate, you know, it was a good good debut. The um, boys played really well, and obviously the, the um, past performances um, haven't sort of you know suggested the club's been going going great but um, I've seen the effort that's been put in and some of those some of those games of you know the boys have come really close to to getting a win and um, you know thankfully we could put that out there on on Friday night and um, you know it's put us in a good good um, front foot going forward
1: yeah good debut for him a good win for Bristol over the Sale Sharks who Goody they had Josh Charlie playing the Wigan rugby league legend just easing his way into the Union game (laughs) the key thing is give him time. He has to have time, doesn't he? Yeah, give him time, uh, absolutely. I mean, he's got huge potential, but I think he might realise,
4: actually, I might have to go looking for the ball because oh, yeah. I, in rugby union, as a winger, but on, on the right wing, if, if I wait for the ball to come to me, he's going to be waiting a very long time.
3: That's why Chris Ashton's so good though, isn't yeah. it? He obviously learnt that and went looking for the ball and we know he's the best poacher for tries in the premiership. Even there? Jason Robinson, when he
5: came to Bath, when he was um, first, when it first went professional, he was he always off his wing. He yeah. was, he was you know, hovering behind the ruck he would attack forwards on the side of rocks, you know, slow and ponder, and he would make a name for himself by, by just getting involved.
1: Yeah, we'll see how he develops. It's interesting to keep tabs on him. Goody, what do you make of this young lad, Joe Simmons, from Exeter Chiefs? Alex is probably thrilled that there's another young, <laughs> exciting fly-half coming through the ranks, but he stepped up and he looked absolutely to the man of Bourne.
3: Yeah, he certainly did. Nice little kick here. Not sure whether it was meant or if it was off his shin, um, but he's a huge talent. Obviously, at Exeter, you see a lovely long ball there into space, Welch on the outside, and then he's got some decent footwork as well. Looks for the offload, understands that that short ball wasn't on, that led to a try. Um, but obviously for Exeter they've got Steenson there, who's the captain at ten. Slade has been playing there a little bit, but it just shows that at Exeter there is this uh, sort of momentum of players coming through the, the academy, that they're
1: building their squad around, and he's certainly one for the future. They certainly might not have to break the bank then to get George Ford. Did no. <laughs> discuss. Excellency and his brother Sam Simmons, he was absolutely outstanding on the open side. Interesting that Rob Vickerman, who is with us there as a reporter, says he thinks that Sam Simmons could potentially move into the midfield. He was that good, that quick, had such good skills. We'll see how these young boys develop. Round three of the Anglo Welsh Cup takes place in late January. We look forward to watching more from that competition. Great stuff. Now, time to introduce our next guest. Born in Louisville, Kentucky, he could have played. American football. He had tryouts for the Minnesota Vikings for the Washington Redskins, but he chose rugby He captained the USA Eagles. He had seven seasons at Bath He is now one of the big hitters in the world game. Please welcome Dan Lyle I mean you you guys you and you and Ollie know each other very very well indeed. Yeah yeah, how many how many seasons were you guys? Did you play all your time at, at Bath with with Ollie?
7: Maybe. Well, yeah. Well, Ollie was there for you know eon centuries, and then yeah. then I stepped in for a little while. But uh, yeah, we played in. Well, we're on the same European Cup team together that won you know in Bordeaux, so that was a treasured memory. So we were one of the fifteen on the field together. What do you remember of that that season and that build up towards
1: the, the Heineken Prize?
7: Yeah, it was a a fantastic run. You know, we you know we. We were a team that could play the game however we wanted to play. And I think that was a culmination of a lot of different coaches that came through. And maybe that was the transition from the, this, this dominant team of the 80s and 90s and this new breed of Bolsch and Tins and Borth and all these guys that went on to do so well. And was this, we just had this working relationship that you, know, you, you wanted to be there. And it was, a, it was a culture that Bath started years ago and you just walked into and felt like it was home. What about this, this culture
1: that Bath had? Oli, what about that? What made it? Where did it come from? Why was it so special?
5: I think it came right from the. I was there in '83; was my first season. Uh, they hadn't won anything, but there was some. There were some interesting people, Martin. Let's say were, you know, people like Roger Sporrell, Gareth Chilcott, John Hall. There were. You know, there was, and backs as well, like David Trick, who was very quick on the wing. Richard Hill had a great part. There was some, and you know, the, the best thing: there were great people. Um, we're still great friends. There was nobody in that side that you thought, you know, that you'd rather not spend some time with. Everybody was comfortable in each other's company. We, we, we won the first John Player Cup in 84 against Bristol, and, and that was the catalyst, really. I, I'll never forget, after the game, you know, first trophy, it was against the odds. We were, a, you know, Barter in those days, no, nobody expected it. But Roger Sparrow walked back in with the trophy. We'd beaten Bristol, our biggest rivals. And when people thought it would be a big celebration, he stopped everything, calmed it down in the change room and said, right, this is ours. This is ours, and we'll have a good night tonight. And from tomorrow, we, we do everything we can to defend it. We're going to set a record. Even then, 84, and we went on and won it for the next uh, five seasons, won it you know, 10 years. And that, that was the category. That, that now is the, is the LV, it's the yeah. Anglo Welsh. And but years ago, that was the only trophy, really up for grabs and and everybody put everything into it.
1: Outstanding, but time marches on. You are now doing great things with uh, American rugby. Big changes for you personally. We'll we'll talk about the new position you have, but what about the state of, of rugby in America? We're always waiting for it to ignite, for it to take on, but now they're taking live premiership matches. What's the state of play?
7: You almost want to have this over in the bar, right? Because it's the bar room conversation. Every single time you walk into a and I and I've been lucky to play rugby on every continent and to be you know habitable continent and, and play the game. And, and you have that conversation. How do you unlock the conversation? How do you unlock it? And I think the first and foremost is you have to recognize that it's a continent, right? I was having a conversation with a, a New Zealand executive. who he said, hey, my job is to make this thing keep rolling forward on the All Blacks. And we're a country that's three or four million. We're the size of one of your cities. And I said, well, not really. You're the size of one of our small cities. Cities. Yeah. yeah and, and the reality the reality is that if you don't uh, parcel it, you don't say, hey, these are our major markets. These are the eight to 10 markets in America, it's the coastal, a couple in the middle, Chicago, Denver, you know, you can really pick those east and west coasts and say, we're going to create those almost as micro little countries. I, they call that the major market conversation. And the major market is is a pairing with Aviva Premiership, it's a pairing with Ireland. You saw that game against All Black, there was, you know, 40 million, uh, 40,000 probably uh, uh, Irish in there that were Irish-Americans. They, were, they didn't all come over from Ireland, right? And, and, and it's just one of those things where you have to systematically walk through, you know, that we're, each market is, is unique. And I think that we have a new CEO that's going to start doing that.
1: But Americans, forgive me if we've got this wrong, you get, they always get the sense here that the Americans will follow something if America are winning. Mm-hmm. For, for American rugby, USA rugby to grow, it's going to have to lose games. Will the American public put up with losses?
7: Well, well, I think we've lost enough games. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, I'll, I'll be the self-deprecator. You know, the, the conversation is not about winning and losing. I, and Aldi talked about it earlier. I think that the best teams are out here, and the guys that are the most successful, you know, understand what it takes to get there, right? And so you have to strip back to the to the uh, the formation of who you want to be. You know, and Americans love winners. There's no doubt. But Americans understand. Uh, scholastic sports they understand university sports and they understand pro sports and or they understand the olympics that's our international window and so literally this year was the first time the olympics debuted right and and the, uh, the nbc went from your partner in in, uh, in america went from 21 games and put 35 games on because the ratings kept going up and people watched it and liked it and the what but there wasn't a, a, a annual conversation about that and so we, we reached out to the Premier Premiership and said, hey, let's create a week-in, week-out schedule. Let's create a, a go-to conversation. And we had a little bit of a benchmark. We had the EPL. Right, so in the EPL, the soccer was doing so well, 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, even in the fall when football was so dominant, college football, pro football. Think about this 120 universities putting over 60,000 people in a stands on every Saturday, you know, and, and 14 universities putting 120,000 people in stands. That's a, that's a competitive uh, yeah. environment. So, how do you do that? Well, find the time zone and the time to do that. And so the EPL is now a 30 week, 40 week, education moment where mom and dad and sister and brother can get up and watch it and then go about doing some of the americana and then have a, have a couple of moments so we're it's content oriented how are they taking to the premiership though watching premiership rugby smaller stages we
1: we like them but on the on the american scale they're not big how's the premiership going down over well
7: i think we see it as the best rugby right you don't know you don't know the difference and but then when you have when you're educated to the level of uh, Of of what comes out of the commentating teams, what comes over to you. And, 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 you know, look, the the English Premiership now is. Has got the most money, and people want to come play in it, and they want to be part of it, and it's got the culture and the heritage. And we, you know, we all search for our identity in America. We, you know, we hear an English accent, and we want to, you know, we want to fall in love with it. I mean, I did. I have, my, I have an English wife now, right? So, so in, in, in that regard, you you have you have that capacity to uh, to really enrich, and because of that time zone quotient, you know, you're able to play those in the morning, and then people then go play their other sport. And and we're a seasonality driven environment, and this is a consistent environment that we can build upon. You add the major markets. You add San Francisco, San Diego, that really, uh, and you, you have Bath and Saracens and others twin you know, with those major market things and give some level of expertise. I've always said that the, the unlocking of America comes from, the, from our natural resources, which is you know, strength and conditioning, athletes, you know, uh, commercial and so forth, with a technical expertise of our best friends, you know the English, the Australians, and others that won't want to come on. Maybe the English and Australia don't want to. Maybe in a couple weeks. But in regards <laughs> to that, it's it's, the, it's that unlocking of that conversation, so that comes together. And I, I think I think what I'm feeling because of this uh, this new commercial conversation, this new content conversation, that people uh, are starting to put that down. And it takes finally a plan. You have to articulate yeah. things down on paper. And and if, so if we articulate and can tell everybody. And I came in today, and it's—I think it's being formatted right now. I said we have a major market strategy that involves these ten cities. We have a pyramid at each one, with youth and performance on the top. That's your pro team. That those players are then graduating into the national team, and they're getting better. So if that's the case, and this is how it's funded, and this is how it's—and uh, this is how it's broadcast. You get, everyone go. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? That, that, Those—you know—there's great stadiums in those environments. You could do great that. Stuff. Yeah. Good. It's nice to know that you put some thought into this. I have no
1: passion for it. No passion. For it. Perfect. Great stuff. So, <laughs> we wish you all the very best. So yes, the Premiership back round eight. We will be at the Wreck for the first big Premiership south, uh, Southwest Derby, Bath against Bristol. They haven't played each other in the Premiership for a long, long time. Join us from seven o'clock, that's on BT Sport. Two and 4K UHD. Worcester take on the Saints. Newcastle against Exeter. Then Gloucester take on Wasps on Saturday. Round 8 highlights from 9 o'clock. And then two live games for you on Sunday. Sail Sharks against Saracens from the AJ Bale. That is at 12.30pm. And then Leicester Tigers taking on a Harlequins. Both those matches are on 4K UHD. That is the state of the table going into round eight. Saracens, Wasps and Bath looking very healthy in the top three. Leicester Tigers are in the top four, but look how close a whole clutch of teams are. Anyone hitches a, hits a rich vein of form, they can put themselves up into the top three, top four. And Bristol, can they take that form from the Anglo-Welsh into their match against Bath? It is a big ask, they are struggling. Change of coach, will it do the job for them? Uh, Alex, you've got a a big challenge against Sale, most people would look at it and say you're at the AJ Bell, tough place to go, but Saracens are so strong. But your resources are stretched at the moment. Where are the strengths of Sale? Where can they hurt you on Sunday?
2: Yeah, I think at home they've got a great record. Um, Everyone knows that, they talk about it a lot. Um, Good set piece, um, some big forwards. And I think you know, they're a good team, but they've also got some real good individual players who can cause you trouble. Um, Mike Haley at the back and uh, Liotta in the centre is a big ball carrier. So I think we need to be ready to just deal with those individuals as well. We kind of forget, because of the success you've had at
1: Saracens in such a short space of time, that you're new to Saracens, getting, new to, getting used to the new uh, routines and the regimes and the people around you. When you look at the strength of that squad, even depleted as it is, does it still amaze you?
2: Yeah, it does. I think it's, um, we, we back the squad, so uh, we know that we're going to lose players over the international periods, but we put a great squad together and guys are ready to come in and, and play their part. And, you know, you still look around the change room, you've got guys like you know, Brad Barrett, Scott Berger, um, Scott Brits, people like this who you can turn to, and I think that's, that gives us confidence when we go to hard places like the A.J. Bell. Yeah, not a bad bunch of players to look around to and get
1: some confidence from. We wish you all the very best of luck. Lawrence, Goody, Leicester taking on Harlequins. We've given you the chance of putting on the coaches' hats and coming up with the game plans for the respective teams. What have you got?
4: Yeah, we're just going to walk over to the screen. It's our live game at three o'clock on BT Sport 1. Goody, your old club, obviously, when the international players are away uh, playing test rugby, there's more of an onus on the players that left there. Leicester, I suppose, have got that responsibility. What have you identified as the key sort of uh, strengths for them playing at home.
3: We talk about some of the senior players that need to step up, so obviously Tom Young's at hooker, but these two are key for me. Obviously, Freddie Burns in at 10, and we expect uh, Williams Owen Williams to play at 12, but Freddie Burns has really come into some amazing form over the uh, the Anglo-Welsh show the last two weeks. Yep. We know uh, his ability to uh, to run a game in terms of his attacking prowess, but these two have, have mixed in really well. You talk about Ford and Farrell in the England axis at 10 and 12, well, these two do just as well for Leicester. They're both decent ball players. Freddie Burns can spot a hole, Throw some lovely passes and it just adds to their attacking game to have that second receiver in Owen Williams to be able to spread the play.
4: And obviously the uh, the sort of mix up of how they like to sort of run and, and pass and kick the ball.
3: Yeah, you look at the balance of both players. Um, both similarly, their run, kick, pass ratios are really good, um, really well balanced as well. But the difference is for me, obviously Freddie Burns coming in at ten. Mm. Look at his stats here. Defenders beaten. He beats 80. He's beaten 18 defenders. He's made seven clean breaks. Better stats than I probably had in my whole career. <laughs> um, but on the other side of it, Owen Williams as a 12, really good distributor. But also his kick success. He kicks at 83%. So that's really important in close games as well.
4: And for me, the foundations of any Leicester performance, certainly over the years, and, and this season is no different, is their set piece. You know, Richard Cockle prides himself on that. Obviously, they've got the return of Tom Croft, which gives them a bit of value there. You know, How important is he in terms of a British line, that experience at a crucial time of the season?
3: Well, it's huge. Line-out presence is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, we can get up at the front defensively as well, which puts a lot of pressure on them, but he wins so much line-out ball for them. Um, And he's just such a calming influence as well. Obviously he's been out injured for quite a while, but as you said, British Lions year. Don't be surprised if he's on that trip. You'd look at Leicester and the way they attack. Their line-out, they've scored 13 out of their 22 tries from line-outs. So it's originated from there. So that's how important Tom Croft is. And then bang, you go into the opposition's 22. What do Leicester do? And they do it really well based on their set piece. Out of 31 line-outs they've won in the opposition's 22, they've driven 30 of them. So Tom Croft this weekend with seven line-out takes in a couple of weeks, he's going to be very, very important for them.
4: Okay, so that's Leicester. I think for Harlequins, me, more than any other club, they've really struggled during the international window. We put up a graphic here. This is them last season. Uh, the first uh, seven weeks of the season, this is with the England International, scored 26 tries, they were actually lying in third in the Aviva Premiership. Fast forward to rounds 10 to 17, they lost six games and they dropped down to sixth. So they have really got to come up with a certain way of playing. And if we look, they'll have Marlon Yard back, but obviously they're going to be missing their captain last season, their captain this season and the England captain a couple of years ago couple of positives for me for Harlequins this season. James Chisholm, I think, has been one of the outstanding players of the season. Brings a, you know, a slightly different approach, obviously with the retirement of Nick Easter, who would have filled that void. They need a player who's going to take on the collisions. I think defensively and in attack, he's got that ability to carry the ball, but he's also winning those collisions. And, uh, you know, with Jack Clifford out injured, and obviously Chris Robshaw away missing, he is really, really crucial. And there's There's one other player that I've highlighted, obviously they're without Jamie Roberts this week, so they haven't got that kind of direct approach. But this guy, Joe Marchand, I know he's a guy that's um, caught your eye.
3: Yeah, he certainly has. And you look at the 13s in England at the minute, this guy's got fantastic footwork. He's absolutely brilliant, one-on-one, beating people in short spaces. He can, they can really base his attack around him. And you look at Jonathan Joseph at 13, Elliot Daly, this kid's the next cab off the rank, and uh, you know, a really exciting
4: prospect for Quinns. And just finally for me, it's about the halfbacks. Carl Dixon um, and Nicky Evans. You know, when you're playing away at Welford Road, I think it's really important that the Quinns halfbacks... Put their team in the right areas of the field, so that's kind of what we think. Beaufs, um, you, th- you have to feel that the uh, the money's on the home side, wouldn't you say?
3: Yeah, it is. And the other thing to, uh, to remember: Graham Roundtree going back to Leicester Tigers for the first time as an opposition coach. Um, you know, looking forward to seeing that in his Carla Quinn shirt. He'll be looking forward to walking out in front of uh, in front of the Crumbie Stand, won't he?
1: Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. See you then.